0: Today's reading is from Isaiah 13 and 14. We won't be reading the whole entire passage, um, but I'll be starting from the first one of chapter 13. A prophecy against Babylon that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw. Raise a banner on a bare hilltop. Shout to them, beckon to them, to enter the gates of the nobles. I have commanded those I prepared for battle. I have summoned my warriors to carry out my wrath those who rejoice in my triumph. Listen, a noise on the mountains, like that of a great multitude. Listen, an uproar among the kingdoms, like nations massing together. The Lord Almighty is mustering an army for war. They come from faraway lands, from the ends of the heavens, the earth and the weapons of his wrath to destroy the whole country. Wail for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Because of this, all hands will go limp. Every heart will melt with fear. Terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They will writhe like a woman in labour. They will look aghast at each other. Their faces aflame. See, the day of the Lord is coming—a cruel day where wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. I will make people scarcer than pure, pure gold, more rare than the gold of, of fear. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger.
1: And continuing at the start of chapter 14, verse 1. The Lord will have compassion on Jacob. Once again, he will choose Israel and will settle them in their own land. Foreigners will join them and unite with the descendants of Jacob. Nations will take them and bring them to their own place, and Israel will take possession of the nations and make them male and female servants in the Lord's land. They will make captives of their captors and rule over their oppressors. On the day the Lord gives you relief from your suffering and turmoil and from the harsh labor forced on you, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. How the oppressor has come to an end. How his fury has ended. And continuing from verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Ziphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Those who see you stare at you. They ponder your fate. Is this the man who shook the earth and made kingdoms tremble? The man who made the world a wilderness, who overthrew its cities and would not let his captives go home? All the kings of the nations lie in state, each in his own tomb, but you are cast out of your tomb like a rejected branch. You are covered with the slain, with those pierced by the sword, those who descend to the stones of the pit like a corpse trampled underfoot you will not let you will not join them in burial for you have destroyed your land and killed your people let the offspring of the wicked never be mentioned again and prepare prepare a place to slaughter his children for the sins of their ancestors they are not to rise to inherit the land and cover the earth with their cities. I will rise up against them, declares the Lord Almighty. I will wipe out Babylon's name and survivors, her offspring and descendants, declares the Lord. I will turn her into a place for owls and into swampland. I will sweep her with the broom of destruction, declares the Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty has sworn... Surely, as I have planned, so it will be, and as I have purposed, so it will happen. I will crush the Assyrian in my land, on my mountains I will trample him down. His yoke will be taken from my people, and his burden removed from their shoulders. This is the plan determined for the whole world. This is the hand stretched out over all nations. For the Lord Almighty has purposed, and who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out, and who can turn it back? This is the word of God.
2: Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Matt Fuller, if we've not met. Well, that's quite a reading, isn't it? Let's pray as we look at this together. Our great God and Father, here are truths that we need to hear. Here are truths that you spend many chapters in the book of Isaiah uh, telling us of the fate, of the nations, of the need to trust in you alone. Father, would we we understand this rightly, understand the language rightly, understand what it means rightly, so that we're not distracted by some of the details, but we do what we're meant to do. We trust in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, even if you know nothing about football and care nothing about football, you may have read about football uh, this week, because uh, the news this week was full, of certainly at the beginning of the week, of the dirty dozen clubs, uh, English and European, who had set up this, uh, this new European Super League, and uh, the 12 sort of biggest clubs, probably not, but anyway, they think they are, and they've set up this this new European Super League, and yeah, we'll make a lot more money, because we are the important ones, and the rest of you can bow before us, because you'll have to bow before our financial power and our influence, and this new empire lasted 48 hours, and then uh, somewhat embarrassingly collapsed. Now, I don't suppose, I suppose in time, we'll hear more of the details. It seems that amongst the dirty dozen, the English slimy six, yes I've been reading probably a bit too much, um, of the, the, the slimy six, some were in the vanguard of leading this new league and a couple of the clubs apparently, uh, Man City and Chelsea, sort of didn't really want to join but felt oh we sort of have to don't we because if we don't join we'll, we'll be left behind. If we don't join We'll just be crushed by the financial might of uh, these other clubs. Or maybe that's the case. I, I, the details will come out. But um, that's very human, isn't it? I, I'm probably, I don't really want to do this, but I, I've just got to join in. Otherwise, I'll just get crushed by this new company, by this new clique. I'll have be friendless. It can happen in the playground, as well as in the boardroom, as well as in global uh, diplomacy, I guess. Scared that no one will have me. I'll be left alone. So I best join some form of gang. Well, that's where we join the small little nation of Judah in the book of Isaiah. Tiny, tiny little nation surrounded by much bigger players thinking, well, who do we join? We've got to join some gang or, or we're left on our own. We can't, I mean, we're told to simply trust the Lord, but let's be honest, that is utterly impractical when there are armies ranged against us. So we need allies, we need treaties with other countries. And so the prophet Isaiah brings this message, and really, I'm just going to spend a month in chapters 13 to 27 of the book of Isaiah, a decent length chunk, but really it's only got one point. Don't trust in other nations, trust in me says the Lord. He's going to say that. It's just taken 15 chapters, but that's what he's going to say. Don't trust in other nations. Trust in me. And in the New Testament, that language gets translated a little bit. It's a bit more, don't trust in the world. Trust in me. This is simplistic, but other nations in the Old Testament, the New Testament uses the phrase the world. But we'll get to it. Now, it's going to be a slightly longer intro than would normally be the case, but I need to locate us a little bit in history so we understand it. If you remember, uh, 18 months or so ago, when we started, uh, we had a little run in Isaiah 1 to 12, right at the beginning of the book, chapter 1, verse 1, tells us when Isaiah is writing, he's writing in about 70, excuse me, 735 BC, and the big threat is Assyria, Assyria is the dominant empire of the day, and uh, we looked at it uh, in simple terms, a bit like this, so let me try and recycle this for you. Um, So Assyria, that's the really big scary cat, little Judah, that's who we're concerned about, Isaiah the prophet is speaking to poor little Judah, this tiny little mouse, and then there's other sort of bigger rats as well, the Philistines, Moab, Egypt, and Judah's terrified by all of them. But the main threat is Syria, so I need some friends. Which of the rats shall I ally with against the cat? I look. At, it's as simple as I can get it. All right. Um, this is sort of years. This is centuries of history in a few animals. Um, uh, that's that's what's going on. And so the message is: you don't need these others, Judah. You've got me, says the Lord. All you need is me, and I'll protect you. Keep you safe. Uh, against all of them. So Assyria, oops, Assyria is the big, big threat, all right? But the text keeps going on and on about Babylon. Now, in the year about 735 BC, Babylon's nothing. I mean, 150 years later, Babylon's the big dominant power. Babylon is the scary one. But at this moment in time, Babylon is nothing, I mean, you might go there for a holiday, but you're certainly not scared of Babylon at this stage of history. So, why does Babylon keep coming up over and over again? Well, because in the Bible, Babylon is just—it's a cipher, it's a symbol of opposition to God. So, picking things these terms, a lazy symbol that often gets used. A journalist is upset with a politician, and they'll say. He's acting like a Nazi. Boris Johnson is acting like a Nazi. Now, by that, they don't mean he's tidied his hair with a load of brill cream, slicked it across, dyed it brown, got a little mustache, wearing all brown, flying his hand around. They don't mean that. They don't mean that. They mean he's evil. If you call anyone a Nazi, it's just sort of a lazy way of calling someone evil. Babylon in the Bible is like that. Babylon is. Human autonomy in opposition to God. We don't want you, we're fine without you. That's Babylon. So four, just shy of 400 times in the Bible, Babylon occurs. It starts in Genesis chapter 11, you remember the Tower of Babel, or Babylon, you're trying to say how you want, but Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 goes all the way to the end of the Bible. Revelation 18, 19, Babylon is destroyed at the end of the- Because Babylon is just, it's not really a city or an empire. Babylon is opposition, human autonomy. We don't want you, God. That's what Babylon means uh, in the Bible, really, throughout it. So now, look, in our reading today, this first oracle, and uh, this whole section is just full of oracles. 13 to 20, you get five oracles, Babylon, then the other nations, the rats, don't trust the rats. Then chapter 21, you go back to Babylon again. You start the cycle all over again. He repeats himself to make his point. But this first prophecy, chapter 13, verse 1, is against Babylon. You see it ends at the end of our reading, chapter 14, verse 27. They need a prophecy, a next prophecy against the Philistines. It starts about Babylon, but it ends up, the last couple of verses, saying Assyria will be destroyed. Because in the year 735, Babylon, human autonomy in opposition to God, looks like Assyria. And you could say in the 1930s, Babylon looked like fascism. You might say in the 1960s, Babylon looked like communism. You might get in trouble for these sort of things, but you might say in the last 50 years, Babylon looks like unfettered capitalism. You might, who knows, perhaps don't so by the year 2050, Babylon looks like Chinese socialism. You might, you might, you might. All sorts of things can change. Okay. But Babylon is human autonomy in opposition to God. That's what it means biblically. And you've got to understand that for this passage. So when Isaiah says, Don't trust the nations, supremely Babylon, it is sort of the same as the New Testament, don't love the world. That's not where your security is. Don't trust the nations. Don't love the world. Trust me, says the Lord. Okay, let's get to it. So this first section then, uh, this first prophecy, chapters 13 and 14, is a word to proud Babylon or Assyria in the 8th century. We'll, um, we'll run through the text and then draw some conclusions at the end, okay? Okay. So chapters 13 and 14, it's a day, a day of destruction. It's secondly, a day of compassion. and Thirdly, a day of singing, but we'll work through it. First, chapter 13, 1 to 22, this is a day of destruction for haughty Babylon. So chapter 13, verse 1, a prophecy against Babylon that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw. Raise a banner on a bare hilltop. That is, shove it so that this is something that everyone should see. Okay, get the tallest hill you can get, get it bare and put a whopping great banner up on it, okay, so everyone can see what's going to happen. And there's war. Now as you work through the passage such as this, just sort of tangentially, Isaiah is using the language of his day. So yes, there's a language of justice and judgment, but in that day that meant you'd be invaded by a foreign army. So when he talks about invasions and people being cut by swords, I think if he was writing in the 21st century, he'd say, there's devastation from nuclear weapons and the, the wicked are brought before international criminal courts. I think that's what he'd say in the 21st century. He's just using the language of his day. But it is brutal because war is brutal. What are we to do? Well, these main imperatives that come up in this first section Verse 4, listen. Verse 6, wail. Verse 9, see. So verse 4, listen. Listen, a noise on the mountains like that of a great multitude. Listen, an uproar among the kingdoms like nations massing together. The Lord Almighty is mustering an army for war. They come from faraway lands, from the ends of the heavens. The Lord and the weapons of his wrath to destroy the whole country. Listen. Invasion. Invasion. Verse 6 to 8, wail, wail for the day of the Lord is near. It'll come like destruction from the Almighty. Because of this, all hands will go limp. Every heart will melt with fear. Terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They'll ride like a woman in labor. They'll look aghast at each other. Their face is aflame. Here is a point in time where all these proud people, they look at one another and go, we got this really wrong. We thought we were safe. We thought we'd made the right alliances, and now we realize we have so got this wrong. We declared independence. We declared we didn't want the Lord. Oh, now we see that's a tragic mistake. Verse nine, see, see the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world, not just Babylon, the world for its evil. The wicked for their sins are put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. And at this point, you start to ask, It doesn't sound like a little skirmish in the 8th century, in the sort of Mesopotamian region. The stars of heaven go out. Sun goes. The moon goes. It sounds a bit more dramatic. And you say, yes, here is a picture of the end of the world. That's what we're talking about. Judgment upon Ruthless pride of humanity. Now, let me clarify Isaiah is not in any sense criticizing human achievements. I mean, what have we had this week? A helicopter on Mars. Amazing. Uh, a vaccine against malaria, possibly. Amazing. Nothing wrong with human achievements, but human achievements would say we don't need God, we don't want God. See, that's the diagnosis, verse 11. Here in one sense is a key explanatory little verse. I'll punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I'll put an end to the arrogance of the haughty. The pride of the ruthless will be humbled. Ruthless pride. And we sit here this morning and we sit here in the UK and in the West and we say, well, thank goodness we're not like that. And you feel a bit awkward about some aspects of history and, and, and some aspects of colonialism and, and some aspects of empire, but that's in the past. And there's no ruthless cruelty now. We're a compassionate society. And then I read this week. In the last 12 months, what do we hit now? 127,000 deaths from COVID. And in the same 12-month period, 220,000 deaths through abortion. And you think, "Oh. oh, we decide that those lives are important and those lives are not. And even in the most severe of lockdowns, One thing that's kept open is abortion clinics. Now please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I have no doubt behind 220,000 there are some absolutely tragic stories. And there is always forgiveness for anyone. My point is this, what sort of culture can we be? We say we're good, we're compassionate, We care, and we decide that those lives matter and those lives do not. And this year, we say black lives matter, wonderful. That is a massively important message that still, and fetal lives do not matter. And we'll have a ruthless industry to destroy them. And at that point, you think just as a culture, not individually, I know, but as a culture, are we a long way away from this sort of ruthless pride in what we've achieved? So a day of destruction is coming for haughty Babylon, but actually it's for the pride of the world that's ruthless. The other two more briefly. Uh, The day of compassion is coming for God's people. So here is hope. Here is hope for tiny, tiny little Judah. Uh, Chapter 14, verse 1. The Lord will have compassion on Jacob. Once again, he'll choose Israel. These Two halves of the nation coming together and he'll settle them in their own land and foreigners will join them and unite with the descendants of Jacob. And nations will take them and bring them to their own place and Israel will take possession of the nations. And okay, I think it's just a picture of a reversal. I don't think the details matter too much. But whereas Judah, this tiny little nation, had been at the mercy of everyone and they get invaded and taken off into exile and all their stuff gets taken. Now they're the center of the world and everyone comes to them. It's a picture of reversal is what it is. What don't you make a verse three? Verse four, you'll take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. You'll sing a song about Babylon being broken. Is that okay? I mean, if you're a Christian, is that okay? To sing about someone else falling? Well, look, consider. If... If it's right, I guess the details aren't all absolutely clear, but if it's right that uh, in northwest China Uyghurs are suffering in forced labor camps, if it's right that women are being forcibly sterilized against their will, and if it's right that they're being subjected to attempted genocide, if all that's true and the Communist Party in that country collapsed, would it be okay if the Uyghurs rejoiced? Would that be okay? Would you be okay with them saying, Whew, thank goodness for that. I think he would. I think we'd say, we get that. If in North Korea, Kim Jong-un and his family, there's a, some sort of coup and collapse, and then actually rather than just the next regime taking over, there's a mer- it's, it's announced it's, that North Korea is going to merge with the South. If you're one of the 100,000 or so Christians in a forced labor camp and you hear that, is it okay for you to rejoice and sing? I think it is because of what you've experienced. And that's what is being spoken of here. The day of judgment for some is a day of compassion upon others. We get that. We can understand that. Then thirdly, it's a day of singing for, well, a shocked world, I think. We come back to Babylon from chapter 14, verse 5. Uh, The difference here is that rather than a nation being spoken of, the focus is upon the king. Um, Some people say this is talking about Satan, I think that's none of that. It's just the focus is upon the king of Babylon, it falls upon him here. And the whole of creation sings at his destruction, verse 7. But this language... Let's pick it up from verse 11. This individual, all your pomp has been brought down to the grave along with the noise of your harps. Maggots are spread out beneath you and worms cover you. That's a pretty miserable bed, isn't it? A mattress of maggots, a duvet of worms. How you've fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, but. But you're brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. And the watching world, verse 16, those who see you stare at you, they ponder your fate. It, is this the man who, made, who shook the earth and made kingdoms tremble? Is this the man who said, I'll make the world a wilderness? I'll turn the whole planet into a desert. I don't care as long as I'm wealthy. Is this the man? Wow. You think of some in recent years, Harvey Weinstein, who could make, make or break careers, who, who ruled Hollywood and emerges as a despicable man. And you look at him now and he's in prison and he's, I don't know how much of a performance it is, but he's hunched over his Zimmer frame and he's a pathetic looking old man. And you think, is this the man that's terrified people? Well, look at him now. Do you remember pictures of Saddam Hussein finally emerging from some sort of bunker? this brutal dictator, this man who had the global superpowers worrying about what he'd do next, emerging from a bunker looking like a, like a homeless tramp. Is this the man who terrified everyone? Look at him now. Empire's full. Oh, for some it takes decades, for some it takes 48 hours for a great empire and its pride to fall. But they fall. And the watching world says, we were so scared. And now look, all we needed was to trust the Lord. And judgment comes. Yes, it's brutal language. Verse 22, I'll rise up against them, declares the Lord Almighty. I'll wipe out Babylon's name and survivors, her offspring and descendants, declares the Lord. Yes, this day of destruction for Babylon, it's a day of compassion and singing for those who have suffered. Judgment comes. It does come. Look, I don't know what you make of... um uh, I mean, barmaid character, I guess. I don't know what you make of Greta Thunberg. Um, look, and I know you might find her annoying. I know that. And I know you can say she's naive about global economics, and if the West reduces its carbon count while China keeps pushing on through, you know, it's you know, I know all that. I know all that. I know all that. And yet there's something extraordinary about her, isn't she? That she's, been, she's only 18 now. She's been at this game for years. And I think she does actually make the world leaders feel a little bit nervous when she walks in the room. I mean, I'd feel nervous. and I've got nothing to feel nervous about. I'd feel nervous if she walked in the room. I mean, she's an extraordinary character, I think. Did you see her this week? She was addressing uh, over a Zoom some US policymakers. And um, she said this. I thought it was extraordinary if you watched it live to camera. She said... Uh, I don't believe you'll do anything about climate change. But how long do you think believe that people in power will get away with it without being held accountable? There is still time to choose your legacy. We the young people are going to write about you in the history books. We are the ones who decide how you will be remembered. So my advice to you is choose wisely. And you think, I mean, whatever you make of it, you think, what a girl. I mean, she's extraordinary. You know, who am I talking to today? The president of, I couldn't give a hoot. This is is what, you know, you will be gone. I will be here. I will determine how the world remembers you. Choose wisely. I mean, it's quite punchy, isn't it? But it's nothing compared to what Isaiah is saying. You may rule the world. You may think you're the most powerful person on the planet. You may think you have all the wealth. You may think, I don't need any reference to God. I am impressive. Oh yeah, you may all think that. But you will die and the Lord will determine your eternity. Choose wisely what you are going to do next. What do you and I do with this? I mean, it's not meant to be interesting. It's meant to be a little bit overwhelming. What do you and I do with this? Well, we trust God for our security and not the nations. We trust him and not a world which declares its autonomy. As a nation, what do we trust in? I can't remember how many times in the last year I've read that the NHS is our religion. Well, look, the NHS is a wonderful thing, but we thank God for it. He's the one we trust. As a church, what do we trust in? The Lord, yeah, but functionally. I was at an online conference. Everyone loves them, don't they, this week. And I was a complete misnomer, really. But I had an online conference this week. I ended up engaging in a chat room with uh, one uh, minister who was clearly exhausted And he said, I've realized that now over a period of years, I've exhausted the church as well. I've persuaded people into ministries. I've persuaded people to serve in Sunday schools and whatever in all sorts of ways by essentially bullying them into it. And now I'm exhausted and everyone's exhausted. And I think the whole thing's in danger of falling apart. I mean, it was was a sort of coffee break. It was was a sort of conversation you're just not expecting. And you think, oh, wow. Um, I guess that's not trusting in the Lord to do his work, but using the methods of the world, I guess. As individuals, what do we trust in? The end of our reading, chapter 14, verse 26. You do know that this is the plan determined for the whole world. Um, Some will say here or at home. Well, it wasn't very practical today, was it? I mean, James, we like James. James is practical. Uh, It wasn't very practical. Hold on a minute. (laughs) This is the plan determined for the whole world. If you don't have this as the first block of how you live your life, you're a fool. This is the plan for the world. This is what we build our life upon. And so the Christian believer of course says well I thank you for your compassion I thank you that when the day of judgment comes I know that there's already been a day of judgment I thank you that the day of destruction fell first upon the Lord Jesus Christ who paid for all my ruthless pride my declarations of independence if you're a Christian you can't help but read Some of the things we've had in this passage today, chapter 13, verse 10. The rising sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light. What does that look like? That looks like Matthew 27. It looks like Jesus dying upon a cross. Where Matthew 27 will tell you from from noon till three in the afternoon, darkness covered the land as the wrath of God fell upon Jesus, his judgment fell upon Jesus. You read in Isaiah 13, verse 13, that the earth will shake from its place. And you think, oh yeah, we looked at that on Good Friday, Matthew 27, at the moment when Jesus dies, the earth shakes, the rocks split open as God's judgment falls upon Jesus. And so to know the compassion of God is to trust that he's taken destruction for you. This is the plan for the whole world. A day of destruction comes and you face it and know the humiliation of the king of Babylon or you face it trusting in compassion that comes because destruction has fallen on Jesus Christ. And Isaiah says, don't trust the world. Trust me. Trust me, says the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, no doubt, uh, many of us, we we read these verses, we listen to these verses, and and like me, our emotions are mixed. We think, oh, golly, this is terrible. And yet, how wonderful if you've suffered at the hand of ruthless pride. Father, while uh, none here this morning lead a regime like that in North Korea, None here today are attempting a, a genocide, if that's the case. Father, we're part of a culture which knows well ruthless pride. We know in our own hearts there is pride which seeks to push you out. And so, Father, for as a nation, would we turn to you. As a church, would we look to do things your way. As individuals, Father, as individuals, would we trust in the compassion that comes through the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.